And as always, we'd like to thank our partners, Firebird Rising and the beautiful game network, BGN. You can go to their websites to see more of their content at firebirdrising.coreair, that's K-O-R-R-A-I-R.com, or at bgn.fm. And let's get to the show. Welcome to the Rising is One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns here with Matt Trainer and Jeff Went, and the streak is over. After 22 games, Phoenix Rising shuts the opposition out for a full 90 minutes. It wasn't without drama, but the streak is over at last. Jeff, tell us about how it went down. Yep, let's get into Friday's match at Reno. Uh, Interesting to come out in a 3-5-2 formation, as was explained to us by the Phoenix Rising uh, media staff, uh, with Dia, Wakasa, and uh, and Peter Ramage in the back, and then uh, and then moving Vasquez up into the midfield, which I thought was quite interesting. The other the other interesting thing was seeing Bravo and SWP on the on the bench to start. But it, but we'll talk about them later on as we get into as we get into the second half, which I thought was interesting too. So, but you know, right out the gates, uh, you know, Phoenix Rising got right into it right off the bat. You know, nice cross by AJ Gray in the third minute, uh, getting it to Drogba in space, but he just misses it wide. It's nice to see nice to see an early run by the by the boys get out there and put some early pressure on Reno. A lot of times we've been seeing the team kind of sit back and and kind of assess things in the first few minutes of most of these matches but it was nice to see them get out on the front foot early and, and get that early attempt uh three minutes later uh, reno tries to strike right back dane kelly of course the the main cog for for reno tries to take a shot on short distance cohen makes a nice save there uh we get into the uh the ninth minute andrew antoine hoppenot made a nice pass to Casipli. uh Dia failed to close, which kind of concerned me because of the formation. Uh, him and, and Cohen come out to meet Casipli uh, as, as he's trying to chip. He chips it, but he chips it over Cohen as well as chipping it over the net. Thankfully, crisis averted there. Uh, nice corner on the 10th minute. Uh, Blair Gavin takes a nice corner right onto the head of Peter Ramage. Just misses just wide. It was a nice attempt by Peter Ramage. First time in a while we've seen a good corner uh, executed by Phoenix Rising. You know, we've seen a lot of balls that just kind of get in the middle and get get uh, knocked away. But this one was a nice to see for a change. That actually we were able to get something good on net. So uh, then uh, Phoenix Rising comes right back the next minute. Jason Johnson gets a shot on goal. Nice save by Matt Bersano. Uh, Drogba gets a ball wide in the 14th to, to A.J. Gray. Gray gets a soft shot off. Bersano, easy save. Uh, we get into the 23rd minute. Dane Kelly gets a gets another shot on goal. It's blocked by Ramage, but Cohen makes the makes the grab off the rebound from Ramage. Uh, in the 26th minute, Richard gets a shot from the left hand side. 
it's saved by Cohen. That's that's one of the situations where I talked about earlier with you guys on the po- uh, before we started the podcast, where I felt that we didn't have that guy on the left hand side that was really closing out, and Richard made a a couple of. Uh, a, shots from that left-hand side in the first half, which really kind of concerned me that we were giving them too much space to be, to be able to do those things. And we can talk about that as we move on. Uh, 27th minute, there's a cross that just missed Didier Drogba. Uh, had, a, had a nice run on that one. But then we get to the 34th minute, and obviously this is, you know, the the highlight of the first half, the highlight of the match, in in, in my opinion, Iffy penalty call on Cody Wakasa. Granted, he didn't get there. He wasn't at the spot. Do I think it was a penalty? No, not really. Hoppenot, I thought, went down a little easily on the play. But but then again, here again, we talked we talk about Cody Wakasa, and we talk about you know whether it's Victor Vasquez or whether it was uh, Amadou Dia at times on the left, where they just find themselves out of position and having to make a play at the last second in order to do that. Forces the penalty. Dane Kelly's going to step up and take the penalty. But this time Josh Cohen remembers from the last time he took the penalty where he likes to go. Decides to go low left on on Josh Cohen. But what does Cohen do? He makes the diving save. Peter Ramage knocks the ball out for a corner. Big turning point in the match right there in the early for at the later stages of the first half. Then we get to the to the very end of the first half. And uh, Espinal takes a wonderful shot from the right-hand side. But talk about your save of the week. Josh Cohen right there, outstretched hands, left upper 90, knocks it into the crossbar, off, out and away. Crisis averted. We get to the half 0-0. Dominic, what what, what did you take away from the first half? Uh, I mean... Like you were saying, it's nice to see an early start. I think um, what's crazy is that Drogba chance third minute might have been our clearest cut chance of the entire match. Um, I don't know whether that's you know a pessimistic outlook because you can't create anything of that quality the next 87 minutes or uh, whether Drogba did well to get open so early and unfortunately didn't give the finish that we come to expect. Um with that being said, uh, we've conceded seven penalties in 14 matches now, and Wakasa has been responsible for four of those. Um, it is amazing. I mean, granted one or two, and I think this is an example, uh, very ticky-tack foul calls. This one, I mean, I didn't see the game in lifetime, but it, it sure looked like the guy went down, and it didn't look like there was that arm extension the arm extension is really the thing that gets people a lot of the time. Um, but this one, it didn't seem like there was an arm extension. So, you know, not the first time we've been on the wrong end of a questionable penalty call. But it doesn't matter because Cohen, uh, the man of our... Uh, definitely the man of that match for both teams. And one of the key players for rising this season. Um, first the penalty save. And then to tip that shot off the bar. I mean, if that shot doesn't get... Uh, the win is save of the week, or at least on the, you know, top two. I mean, just unbelievable from Cohen. Um, yeah, and I, I think Rising created some moments early in the game. I think they were fair value for getting in 
Dominic summed it up pretty well there. I mean, all I really have to add here is that uh, Cohen was the highlight of the first half. Yeah, I agree. The penalty against Wakaso is pretty soft, and you could see Hopnot uh, throughout the game. He was, you know, he was taken down pretty easily, so he was uh, just trying to create those three penalties. But yeah, just Cohen came up big. Uh, Guess that penalty, and then even uh, Wakasa was able to clear that rebound out, which I thought was a nice little uh, trying to you know save himself there for getting us into that situation. But yeah, those were kind of my thoughts as Cohen stepped up big in the first half. Definitely, and I one last thing, Cohen was due for a penalty save, man. I mean, a lot of them. I mean, a guy of his caliber unfortunately wasn't able to save, you know, his first six. But I mean, eventually you're going to come up big one of these times and. Good to see it happen tonight. That it was. So we'll get into the second half of, of play. And a couple of interesting changes right off the bat. Omar Bravo comes into the contest for Jason Johnson. Looked like Johnson had picked up a little bit of a knock. So you know, I think maybe that was probably the decision there to, to pull him off. And our Areola in for Miguel Tim. It confused me as to where Areola was on the field because he was – hardly seen from that entire second half. I mean, I don't know if he was playing a holding mid position like Tim was, and maybe that's just, you know, you know, because he was doing such a good job, we, we didn't notice him that much. But I don't know, to me, Eder Ariola is more of a, a wing-type player where we kind of need him out there, and it just kind of seemed like he had gotten lost in the shuffle. But, you know, interesting changes made there at the 45 mark, I will say that. But, uh uh, so we get into the second half, and, and Reno comes right out the bat. First five minutes, two good chances. Griffiths in the 48th gets a header off of uh, Cohen, goes out for a corner. And then in the 50th, the D kind of crumbles again, but thankfully Ramage was able to come back in the end and hold the fort down and get the ball cleared, get out of harm's trouble. Get into the you know the, the middle portion of the second half. Free kick to, to Kelly in the 67th. He gets a header on, you know, just wide. You know, Cohen fortunately was in the right position uh, to cover it if needed be, but a, but a nice free kick taken by Reno there in, in that portion. And then Gray had a nice shot in the 71st on the near post. Bersano makes another good save. You know, Bersano's come up big in the two games that he's played against uh, against us this year. Made a, quite, a, quite a number of good saves. Uh, 73rd minute, Sean Wright Phillips comes on in the match. Uh, comes on for for Vasquez, which I thought was a good move. I think we needed to interject a little bit more speed and a little bit more pace in the middle of the field. Unfortunately, it didn't quite get used, I think, the way that, that we really wanted to. Um, but coming out of that substitution, Didier Drogba with a almost beautiful free kick in the 74th. If he could have just got it to dip just a little bit at the last second, that, that ball might have beaten Bersano in the upper corner, but just not quite enough on the dip, but a great free kick from distance there in the 74th. Um, interesting, you know, Sean Wright Phillips in the 80th minute had a great play on net, and I'm not sure what he was thinking at the time when he had it, when he had the ball. I don't know if he was thinking he had somebody a little bit on a deeper run towards the back post, but I thought Sean Wright Phillips had all the room in the world to take that shot in the 80th right from where he's made his is his two goals on the year this year so far right in that perfect spot and he just kind of I think he overthought that one tried to throw it across and 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 to no avail uh nice free kick by Omar Bravo he stepped up in the 84th kind of fooling everybody 
uh, you know, Drogba was lining up to take that free kick, and and Bravo kind of snuck in there at the last second. Kind of caught Bersano off guard almost, but, you know, Bersano had the near post covered, made the nice uh, diving save, knocked it out for a corner. Then we get into we get into to stoppage time, and the, the, the most interesting part in stoppage time, you know, the, the Reno had the, the early chance right at the beginning of stoppage time. Brown had hit one just over the top from Hoppenot. But right there at the end, something happened along the sideline there that got Patrice Carteron sent off, got Didier Drogba a yellow, which by all accounts, we're lucky it's just a yellow. You talked earlier, Matt, before we started about Omar Bravo trying to get into the face of the referee and Drogba kind of holding him off, which was smart because obviously Bravo was on four yellows and, you know, he picks up another. He's sitting this next game out. But fortunately for the situation at hand, Drogba held and got everybody taken care of. And just Drogba picks up the yellow. We can deal with that. Pretty much play runs out after that. Game's over. 0-0 draw. We take a point away from Reno, who's sitting near the top of the table. Ends the 22-match streak of, of clean sheets. What else can you say than, than uh, you know, a good effort by the boys going up there. Uh, before I hand it off to you guys, a couple of thoughts real quick just on the match in general. I thought, first of all, I thought the formation was a little off. I get that a lot of teams are, are playing this style of defense, but I think for what Reno does, we needed that guy out on the wing to kind of control things, and it just didn't seem like it was there. Even though Amadou Diou was on the left, he seemed like he was staying more in the middle than he was playing out on the left. I think he felt that, that Vasquez was the guy that was going to handle the left, but it, it's not the way it kind of worked out. I thought we gave him too much room on the. I thought we gave him too much room on the wings to be able to do things that that they needed to do. We did do a lot of clearing, which I think is a, is is a major improvement with this club. We're clearing the ball a lot better under Patrice Carteron than we have in other weeks. So that I am impressed with, and that I am happy with. Can't really complain too much about the substitutions. I thought you know, I thought they did an okay job. You know, Bravo came out and 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 did okay in, in his minutes. You know. Like I said earlier, we really didn't see a whole lot from Ed Ariola, but I thought he he played well in his time. SWP, you know, for 20 plus minutes, did a good job in what he did. So, all in all, a good effort getting a point out of Reno. So, you know, I'll hand it off to you guys for for comments on uh, the second half and what you thought overall. So I thought we did a pretty good job considering how uh, the last matchup resulted. You know, Dane Kelly is second in goals in the league. Uh, he has the most shots with 58 so far this season. Last time he played here in May, I believe he picked up a hat trick against us. Um, so to be able to kind of keep him under control was a big benefit. Cohen was the man of the game. I mean, he came up big for us so often. He was able to, you know, predict where Dane Kelly was going with that penalty kick. Blocking Espinal in the 44th minute, pushing that ball into the bar. It was huge. Josh Cohen was, uh, you know, a big factor in Friday night's game. And then we kind of talked about it already with the little bit of chippiness going on there and stoppage time. Great awareness by Drogba to push Bravo away. Critical for the team, so we don't want him to get a card, you know, for descent for his fifth time. That's probably going to come up here in the next few weeks, I'm guessing. Not completely out of the clear there. Yeah, and uh, just to add maybe a couple other things. I remember last week we were pretty frustrated that uh, Coach Carteron did not bring any subs in until the 73rd minute. 
when it was 108 degrees at kickoff. Maybe he's listening to our podcast or something because he made two very proactive subs. He even brought Ariola on. And we were saying last week, bring Ariola on. Um, you're right that uh, he did not get too involved in the action, Jeff. But one moment that uh, didn't quite make it in that second half summary that I think is worth mentioning. 87th minute, uh, Drogba got a really nice ball into Watson. His shot got blocked, but it popped right to Areola, who's inside the box, center of the box, with a great chance if he could control that and put it in. He had a real opportunity, and instead he just, you know, he totally fluffed it. Didn't really have much of a chance. But he does get into those spots, and, you know, all it takes is one moment. I'm a huge fan of bringing Areola in, even though he didn't quite have as many highlight reel moments as in weeks past. Uh, he still almost came through with that one spark, just with those fresh legs getting into the right spot. So I was pretty happy with that, and... um Generally speaking, I think the nil-nil is a very fair result. Uh, if you look at the shots and shots on target, uh, Reno had slightly more shots and shots on target, but both teams had double-digit shots, and neither team was very accurate with their shots. Both teams were below 40% on target. So, you know, that's kind of to be expected when it's a nil-nil. Uh, unfortunately, you can't quite get the moment of quality, but really good game, and then... That was really bizarre at the end, uh, what happened in those last few minutes. with Have have we even got an explanation for why Carterone was sent off? No, we never did get a, an explanation on that, and it'll be interesting to, you know, uh, check with, uh, with uh, the, the Phoenix Rising staff in the next couple of days to find out exactly what happened. But obviously, with him being sent off, that, that will mean that, uh, that Rick Schantz will most likely be leaving the team next week uh, when they travel to Orange County, so. Well, and another note about that play, I saw people on, on Twitter and Facebook complaining because it looked like a Reno player had pushed Drogba first. He gets no yellow card, and so, of course, Drogba's going to be upset. Uh, that was one of the complaints I'd seen, but I don't know your guys' thoughts on that. I didn't see much out of the play, you know. Um, it just... I think I think a lot of it was focused away from the play. So I mean, when, when they focused back on the play, we couldn't really tell exactly what was happening. So, you know, it, it, it was hard to kind of figure out what exactly was going on at that point. You know, it is what it is. It's it's late in, in stoppage time, and you're always going to get a lot of things like that. I think. Let's put this zero zero draw in the in in the rear view. Let's look ahead. Uh, next week's opponent, uh, Orange County. The first time we're seeing them this season first time that we're seeing their new facility interesting result that they had this past uh saturday as, as they uh took on timbers two and uh came away with a 3-3 draw whoa well, wow what can you say about this match i mean it had a little bit of everything it's got bijev with a with a brace for timbers two three red cards right at the end three red cards right at the end two of them to orange county players and a goal at the death to preserve a point for Orange County. So, like like we said, this game had a little bit of everything in it. Yeah, and that goal is also to uh, save face a little bit to not lose to Timbers too. <laughs> but uh, with Pineda and Van Uick, who is who's their actually uh, leading goal scorer on the season, is uh, both going to be out of that game. You know, due to the red cards, it'll be interesting to see 
if they pick up additional suspensions as they go forward uh, more than just the one game. And then obviously Phoenix will be missing Carterone on the sideline most likely for this match. So I don't know. I, I would kind of take uh, Van Uick being on the on the sidelines and on the bench and then, then having Carterone be there. And, and I, I think Rick can handle the job going over Orange County. You know, one for one in trips to Southern California this year. They beat Los Dos. Couple interesting things about Orange County this season, uh, because we were looking at their schedule before this podcast. They've been a feast or famine team. They've had five or six games where they've scored uh, two or more goals. Obviously, their record is very strong in those matches. But they've also had games where they get shut out. They were shut out, I believe, five times this season, and they had three games in a row where they were shut out earlier in the season. Uh, that was during their very cold stretch before the last two weeks. Um, and also their defense, you know, sometimes they look great and they shut teams out. They've shut teams out on multiple occasions. But recently they've been on a real cold streak with their defense. They gave up three to Seattle two, even though they won that match. And then they give up three more to Timbers two, who comes in as the worst team in the league. So they've they've been another team kind of like us that hasn't you know, has struggled mightily to put the offense and the defense together in the same match. You can only really point to a 4-0 win over Los Dos earlier in the year to say they really had both things going. To me, I think this is a game we can and should win. They are vulnerable in the back, uh, and if our defense shows up and plays the way that we're capable of, especially with Van Uick out, they could have a tough time scoring goals. I could see us winning this one by multiple goals, I can see us losing this one by multiple goals. Um, I did see Orange County play us in the preseason, and that match, uh, they won 3-0 for what it's worth. And, uh, you know, just because they were able to put a few in, a couple were pretty lucky goals. So it, it they're kind of a feast or famine team even more so than us. Uh, so, yeah, it, it'll be... It's a real wild card matchup. It's one of those it's very tough to predict. Um, and one I'd last note... Go check out the highlights from that Timbers 2 Orange County match. Jerry Van Uick earned his red card. He tackled a guy in the 89th minute. And I'm not talking soccer tackle. I'm talking he tackled the dude like a middle linebacker tackles a running back trying to come up the middle. Like, it was a straight-up tackle. It was very fun to watch. Um, I have a feeling he might be on the more-than-one-game suspended list when that comes out. So check that out. We're going to uh, get into the week in review now for the USL for week 15. Uh, Swope Park Rangers picking up a couple of wins on the road this week. A 2-1 win Tuesday over Tulsa. Uh, pair, uh, goals by Rubio and Gonzalez helped lead Swope to the win there on Tuesday. And they followed that up on Friday with a 1-0 win over LA Galaxy 2. Selbo uh, with a goal in the 64th minute that gives... Uh, Swope six important road points uh, and a big week for them uh, moving forward. As as you'll see in a little bit in the, as, in the standings, it'll reflect it there. Uh, games on Saturday: uh, New York beat St. Louis one to nothing. Harrisburg beat Toronto four to three. Bethlehem and Richmond played to a one-one draw. Charleston beat Tampa Bay two to nothing. Louisville defeated Ottawa two to one. Orlando. City B and FC Cincinnati drew 1-1. One, one. 
Charlotte had a 2-1 victory over Richmond. We get into games in the Western Conference of, of note. Seattle with a 2-0 victory over their Cascadia rivals, Vancouver. Uh, Sari and Mathers with goals there for Seattle. Uh, we touched on the OC 3-3 draw with Timbers 2. Uh, Tulsa with a 2-0 win over Salt Lake City, giving Salt Lake City their uh, second loss of the season. It was goals by Rivas and Savantison that led Tulsa to that victory. Uh, quite an interesting uh, result there for Tulsa. Yeah, and that, that keeps San Antonio's unbeaten streak in the number one position for uh, all-time USL streaks. Real can't even make claim to that one. Last two games on the docket for the week. Uh, Rio Grande Valley gets a one nothing victory over Colorado Springs. A Luna penalty kick goal in the 67th gets them the three points there. And uh, the big match of the week in the West, it was a San Antonio playing at Sacramento, a 1-1 draw. Uh, Emera Clement, Clementa with a goal for Sacramento. And it was A.J. Ajequa with the first half goal, evening it up for San Antonio. That was an, it was an interesting game. I got to see bits and pieces of that one. Uh, I think that was a fair result for both teams. Fair result and a, a potential playoff preview, too. I mean... I I only got a chance to see the highlights for this match, but you know both teams had great scoring chances. It looked like the statistics told a story that it was a pretty evenly matched um, battle. Um, you know you love to see such a great game being played in front of the eleven plus thousand fans in Sacramento. Um, you know, good for San Antonio to respond after going down on the road. Both goals are nice goals too. Uh, very high quality strikes i really liked that first sacramento goal from clementa because it was a beautiful through ball from barrera and then he just one timed it in um but yeah just a very high quality uh match between two teams that i think everyone expects to see in the playoffs um you know almost 50 50 possession there so uh very fair result another away draw for san antonio and they are just shooting up the standings uh, but Sacramento is looking much better than they looked in their cold stretch in April. So, uh, good. I mean, if you're a Republic fan, you're pretty happy with how they've been performing, including in that match. Yeah, I think the fans are, are breathing a little bit more of a sigh of relief now as, as their recent run of games has, has kind of shown, even though they did have the the loss you know, earlier in the week in the, in the U.S. Open Cup. You know, I, I think their run of play has been much better as of late, and, and they're starting to fit where they belong, you know, in the Western Conference table. So we get to the Western Conference standings as we hit the end of Week 15 here. Uh, it's, it's RSL at the top, 12-2-1 for 37 points. San Antonio is in second, 10-1-5 with 35 points. And it's a nine-point gap now to third-place Swope Park Rangers, who are at 8-4-2 and two for 26 points. Sacramento has vaulted up into fourth, 7-6-4 and four for 25 points. In fifth is Seattle at 7-7-2 seven, seven and two for 23 points. In sixth is Colorado Springs, 6-6-5 six, six and five for 23 points. In seventh is Reno, 6-4-4 four, four off the draw, 22 points. And holding the eighth spot currently in the playoffs, 
is Rio Grande Valley 6-6-2 for 20 points. Then it's down to ninth for Tulsa, 6-8-0 for 18 points. Oklahoma City is in 10th, 5-6-3 for 18 points, with a minus 3 goal differential. Then it's Phoenix in 11th, 5-5-3, 18 points with a minus 4 goal differential. Vancouver's in 12th, 4-8-3 for 15 points. Orange County is in 13th, 4-4-2. Again, 10 games played versus what everybody's at 14 and above. Uh, 14 points for Orange County there in their 10 matches. LA Galaxy 2 is in 14th, 3-10-2 with 11 points. And at the bottom, Portland Timbers 2 with the draw, 1-13-2 now on the season for 5 points. And that's your that's your USL look for this week. We get into our next uh, section of the program where we talk about uh, goings on not only around the league but around uh, Major League Soccer expansion. Um, interesting result this week in the U.S. Open Cup: FC Cincinnati takes down MLS Chicago Fire. Uh, Matt, you had a, a real good look at this match. Why don't you uh, talk about what you saw? Probably one of the best matches I've watched in a while. The man of the game is Mitch Hildebrandt. He came up big so many times it was unbelievable. And this was just such a, a back-and-forth match. Chicago controlled possession 70% to 30%. But FC Cincinnati was able to step up defensively many, many times. The big thing here was that this match was scheduled for ESPN2, and it ended up getting pushed up to ESPN. So how cool is that to have a, a USL Division Two match hosting an MLS team on ESPN? They set the second in record for the U.S. Open Cup attendance at FC Cincinnati at 32,287. place was packed, and they were just amped up. So I thought FC Cincinnati played really well. You know, you have a, a team who is sixth in the second division in the Eastern Conference, uh, going up against one of the more uh, high-powered MLS teams, who I believe is second or third for goals scored. And to hold them to, to nothing and to go into penalty kicks uh, was awesome. And then, again, Mitch uh, Hildebrandt came up big there. He just executed perfectly. He was on a whole different level that night. I don't know. I, I felt that FC Cincinnati probably should have won the match and not even have went into extra time. Um, there was a a goal by uh, Jimmy McLaughlin that was called back for being offside. He could have been called either way. To me, it looks like he was just barely onside. But yeah, it was it was awesome to watch, and there was a lot of hype there too about Cincinnati's push for MLS based on this match. You know, the, how they can draw the crowd, the atmosphere, even the commentators on, on ESPN were talking about how, you know, they really hope not to push a team like this that has such a following and not include them in the MLS expansion. Um, and then I believe that's where uh, our friend Dominic here made a tweet, including uh, Phoenix Rising and FC Cincinnati uh, <laughs> just, uh, going into MLS together. And they both responded, so that was fun. Did you guys get a chance to watch this match or at least see the highlights? I I hope you did, and I'll try to find the, the link, Mitch Hildebrandt, in uh, penalty kicks, because, man, that was awesome. You know, I picked up the match somewhere around, uh, I want to say the 75th, 80th minute, so I, I kind of picked it up later than, than than what you had caught it, but even in the even in the 40 minutes that I watched plus penalty kicks, I mean, Hildebrandt was just standing on his head, save after save. I mean, he even, he even had a save on Schweinsteiger there, uh, 
late in stoppage time and stoppage time in in the extra time period that unbelievable I mean nine times out of ten Schweinsteiger's putting that ball in the back of the net and for Hildebrand to do what he did just an unbelievable save and then to come up big you know I, I thought the, the the greatest thing you know when they went down to the referees you know for the coin you know showing the coin toss FC Cincinnati wins the coin toss to choose the end and of course Mitch Hildebrand is the smartest guy in the world and says let's take him and put him in front of our supporters and then he wins the second coin toss to, to, to decide whether to go first or second, you know. But, I mean, how cool is that to just be able to be in front of your supporters, you know, the, the, the guys that are behind you 100%, and to be able to do what he did, you know. And now, it like you said earlier, sets up a uh, Division Two Super Bowl of sorts in the quarterfinals as, as FC Cincinnati will, will travel down to... Uh, Miami to play uh, Miami FC in the uh, U.S. Open Cup quarterfinals. Yeah, it'll be a battle for the one true second division uh, that didn't work out too well for us in the Open Cup, but maybe Cincinnati will ride the lightning and get another big shutout win. Uh, That's another fun match from the Open Cup. Miami uh, against Atlanta United, and Miami had a great uh, game-winning goal in stoppage time to win 3-2 on a breakaway. I mean, you don't have 32,000 fans going nuts, but it was still a very high-quality game and a very fun finish to give Miami the win. So, um, it's, you know, earlier I went on a podcast with some other people from the BGN Network, and I was pretty pessimistic on the Open Cup, uh, you know, especially because Phoenix Rising just really had a negative experience with it this year. Uh, with the interim coach Rick Shantz in place, with us just not getting any good home draws. Our third match is against a nobody team in NASL Deltas, and then we keep getting chosen to go away. The only reason we even have one home match is because there's something going on in Keezer Stadium. So it's just... And then the way we got jobbed in that match. So I was pretty pessimistic, but uh, after seeing these last couple results, I definitely... Uh, see why people do get as excited about this particular domestic cup uh, because in the past I was more understanding you know FA Cup, Coppa Italia some of the European ones but just not seeing it uh, here so much and now I get it so I'm hoping that we get a chance to have some similar success next year we can dream right that we can and another interesting point if anybody ever gets a chance to uh, go to ESPN FC uh, I don't know if it's still up or not, but uh, Taylor Twelman during the halftime of that FC Cincinnati game really gave some good argumentative points on how to improve the Open Cup and how to make it better than what it is now. Um, I thought Taylor was on point with some of his, his comments. So if, if you guys ever get the chance, and, and go search it out on ESPN FC. It, it's a great you know three or four minute piece that, that they talk about and uh, uh, talk about future Open Cups and maybe you know U.S. Soccer will listen and and take some of his uh, some of his thoughts to heart. So, yeah, and and last thing too, thank you, Matt, for pointing out the importance of getting the cup on ESPN. It was kind of a last minute announcement, but uh, getting more eyeballs on the cup and getting more people realizing, hey, this actually matters in the U.S. Now I'm going to keep a closer eye on it because. I, you know, now I know that FC Dallas won last year, but 
I didn't know who won the uh, the U.S. Open Cup in 2016, and I knew who won um, FA Cup. I knew who won Liga MX. I knew Juventus just won Copa Italia. You know, like Arsenal FA Cup, like Barcelona Copa del Rey. I knew all of these, and I didn't even know who last year's U.S. Open Cup winner is. So if we can get better exposure like this before the final match, people will start caring. And uh, thank you for pointing out how important that is. Yep, that's for sure. Well, let's talk about the other uh, interesting uh, article we kind of saw out there this week as far as MLS expansion goes. One of our uh, contributors here at Firebird Rising uh, also works at the thebluetestament.com. Uh, uh, Chad Smith wrote a, an article about where uh, expansion teams kind of lie at this point in the process. Uh, being the quote-unquote homer that he says he is, ranked Phoenix at the top of the list. Uh, we've obviously seen a number of lists out there so far. Uh, we can banter again about this, guys. Where do you think Phoenix fits in this group of uh, in this group of twelve? I'm in agreement with this list here. Uh... You know, Phoenix, you know, whether they're one or two, um, I think they're definitely in the top two. It's just they have everything that's needed for MLS. We don't have to worry about public funding. We already have land. We've seen what the ownership group is capable of in such short amount of times and on a consistent basis as well. So, yeah, I thought this article was pretty well summed up. And, you know, although he is uh, a Phoenix uh, fan, I think he's also been pretty fair and had them accurately ranked in previous uh, articles. So that's something else to kind of mention so that he doesn't, you know, come off as biased in this article, which he throws that out there right off the bat. Uh, but, yeah, I thought it was a pretty good article. And uh, overall, I thought all the rankings were spot on. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because in general I've been a pretty big optimist. I, I still am an optimist about us getting MLS, but I don't think I'm as bullish here as uh as chad is um you know fc cincinnati giving uh, you know the performance they did on wednesday night and 32 plus thousand fans i understand that they're still asking for public money uh because the ownership group is only willing to fund the 150 million expansion fee and 100 million of the stadium and you can never get a stadium built that cheap nowadays but i have this suspicion that you know, should Cincinnati fairly say, hey, look, we don't want our money going to another stadium, then they'll just say, okay, let's go across the Ohio River. Hey, Kentucky, would you guys mind funding this? And Kentucky having no major pro sports teams, although you can joke about Kentucky basketball, they'll, they'll say, hey, yes, absolutely. We'd love to have all of these people coming to our side of the river. It'll be good for the economy. The, the same arguments that are being used in the 90s when a lot of these publicly funded stadiums were built. Um, I have a feeling Kentucky will be suckered into it, so no matter what happens, they're going to get a team. I would be stunned if they don't. I think Sacramento, um, he has that in, at number two. They're very deserving. They seem to have a plan in place, and with only one other pro sports team, you know they've proven that they can get over 10,000 fans. It'll be interesting to see if only two are chosen this year and Cincinnati gets its thing figured out whether they choose Sacramento or us. Personally, I think they would choose Sacramento over us this time. Um, and I, I definitely do have us at, like, two or three and way above the next tier of cities. So, you know, delusional people on Twitter talking about San Diego being the best city. Uh, anyone that, like, thinks Tampa or San Antonio 
should be up at the top of the list. You guys need to get further along to really be in the same tier that I would put Sacramento, Cincinnati, and Phoenix in. But with that being said, I don't think Phoenix is a clear number one. I would probably put us more at two or three. So not quite as bullish. But we're going to get a team eventually. All right, well, that ends this uh, portion of the, the program talking about uh, talking about MLS and, and other topics of soccer-related note. Uh, we'll go into final points for this week, and uh, I think, Matt, we'll start with you this week. All right, so my final thoughts were just kind of go over the results against Reno again. Uh, I thought it was very evenly matched game, and, you know, we'll take a point on the road. To be able to hold Dane Kelly goalless, who is second place for goals scored in the USL currently, and first of all, all time, um, I thought that was pretty impressive. Defense looked a little shaky at times, but Cohen was there to clean up, so he was our savior on Friday. Um, and hopefully we don't have to hear about a 22-game um, streak of no clean sheets. Oh, I think that's a thing of the past. We're now on a four-game unbeaten streak. Three of those draws have been against teams who are in the top half of the table and we have previously played two of those three teams and the results did not go as well so you can say that there has been a huge improvement with phoenix rising lately and one thing that aligns to the four game unbeaten streak is the fact that that was when drogba started having drogba in the lineup has made an impact may not get a goal every match but he's there he's changing the game and he's helping us improve. So a lot of positive things I'm seeing, and uh, hopefully we can keep this momentum, carry it, pick up some of these points and these you know, tougher matches we have this summer. It's good that you mentioned that we're undefeated since Drogba came in, and uh, you know the four-game uh, undefeated streak. So, yes, getting three points from three matches can seem frustrating, but I want to give some context here and give some reasons for optimism. And I'm not even going to go the games in hand route. Our last three matches we played, away to Soap Park, who is now number three in the Western Conference. Uh, as mentioned, they won two away matches this week. They've been looking really good in the last couple months. And really, we were the only blip in their radar of late. Uh, then, we, then we get the Monarchs at home. And yes, it's a 1-1 draw. And maybe it loses some of its luster now that they lose away to Tulsa. But that's still a really great result. They came in on a nine-game winning streak. Not even unbeaten streak, a winning streak. So to get a point there and, you know, very, very, very close to getting three points there, that's another step in the right direction. And then we build on that and get a nil-nil, break the shutout streak, get another point against a very tough team. Reno, in the last two months, has been the highest-scoring team in USL. They were one of the hottest teams in the league coming in. And another team that's coming in red hot, and we shut them down and at least slow their momentum down a little bit. I mean, these, I think it's very fair to say we're three of the top five or six teams in USL that we played the last three weeks. And we took something from every one of those games. That speaks volumes about the kind of players we have, uh, the kind of mental fortitude we have. And I think we can build on this first shutout because we have some opportunities coming up as i mentioned before orange county has struggled to score in some games uh and they are missing van uick their top scorer next week then we play colorado springs they just got shut out at home by rgv they've struggled to score as well so i'm thinking let's build on this let's get another shutout and let's 
I think we're going to have a great opportunity to get at least one win from those next two. And to piggyback off of you guys, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, the, the, the four-game streak is, is going well. And, and I think one thing that we can start to take away from this streak is we're, we're starting to see how defensive-minded Patrice Carteron really is. I mean, you think about it, in the four matches we've played, we've only given up four goals. Gave up one to one to Vancouver. We gave up two to Swope. We gave up one to uh, Real Monarchs, and then we didn't give up any to Reno this past week. I think the the system is starting to get put in place by Patrice Carteron, and I think we're starting to see the benefits of of that defensive setup being put into place. Now, we may not agree on whether the system is the right system or whether the formation is the right setup, but think of it this way. One goal from open play, four, we've got four positive results ever since Patrice has, has taken over this club. It's a step in the right direction. We've always talked about the dog days of summer being what they are and how it's always been a struggle for this club to get through it. I think we have the right man for the job now to get us through that time. And we're seeing the benefits of it as we go along here. We get rid of the, we get rid of the shutout streak. We get positive results. We now have a chance to set a club record going into Saturday night's match against Orange County for five unbeaten. This, this club has never seen that before. Whether it's a draw, whether it's a win, we need that unbeaten result, not just for the record per se, but I think the confidence level of this club only increases as these positive results continue to happen. While it may not be three points, a point is better than nothing as you move forward, like we've said all these times. Draws are going to help us throughout throughout this summer and as we get into the to the fall when it's really going to matter the most, but the biggest thing is going to be keep getting the results. We keep playing the defense the way we are, and I think we're going to, you know, good things are going to happen and follow for us. So that's that's it for me. All right. Well, uh, you know, thank you all for listening. Kind of one last post point, even on that. Um, before you despair and say, oh, we're still out of the playoffs, Swope was out of the playoffs after they drew against us. Now they're sitting in third place in the conference. And so all it took was three wins in a row, and they just jumped a bunch of teams. We can do it too uh, once we get some easier opponents because we just played three of the top, you know, in my estimation, three of the top four or five teams at the conference got something from all of those matches. And that should tell you something that we can compete in the playoffs. But uh, I won't go on too much further there. Uh, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We will be back next Sunday following the away match at Orange County um, be sure to give us some feedback and ratings too on the iTunes store uh, we have a couple of decent ones but it's been a few months since we've gotten any uh, and we know that a couple people have been listening in the last few months so if anyone could give us some uh, feedback even if it's negative feedback we would really appreciate it but thank you for listening and This will do it for the episode.